0: Good morning, RHC. It's good to be with you on this cool and crisp Sunday. I'm uh, in my office, hanging out, uh, still waiting for COVID to completely go away. And my symptoms have gotten a lot better. I have less nasal stuff and uh, more energy today. And uh, if I were to take a test, it'd probably be negative at this point because it seems like it's just going away. But um, I'm doing better. Uh, Rachel's starting to feel better. <coughs> Ryan, who tested positive, has no symptoms. So he's the uh, the lucky dog out of all this. Uh, but in any case, I wanted to um, just do a little devotional with you. And uh, it probably is going to seem more like a sermon, uh, because that's all I know how to do. Uh, but Uh, I wanted to spend some time with you in God's Word, um, since we're not meeting today uh, because of this COVID stuff and the flus and everything else that's going around. Uh, But I wanted to spend a little time with you in God's Word. Um, I want to share a little lesson with you. It's going to be from Psalm 2. I thought, uh, what, what could I share with you guys today? And uh, I thought, well, I could go back to Job, but I really didn't want to preach through Job 26 from a desk chair or go down to the building while being sick or anything like that. So I thought, uh, as I was actually, the idea came <clears throat> as I was doing my, my. I have a daily devotional I do now. You know, it's like a 365-day-a-year Bible. I read through that, and there's a couple of other resources, and uh, there's a... Treasury of David thing that I've been doing. Um, The Treasury of David is is by Spurgeon. It's essentially Spurgeon's um, commentary on the Psalms. And uh, one of the Psalms that uh, I studied through that resource was Psalm 2. And I was just reminded of how amazing Psalm 2 is, uh, how awesome it is. And um, it's really a, a celebration of the unquestionable supremacy of God And his anointed and appointed king over all the rebellious peoples over all the rebellious nations that's what it's about and uh, as I was reading it and then and then um, focusing on Spurgeon's insights I just thought what a perfect subject for today with um, with all of the things that are going on around us with the mandates and tyranny and governments and rebellion and and hatred of God through all the immorality and all these things i just thought what a what a perfect psalm for today so um i'm just going to kind of divide it up into four parts like i normally do i have four points um in fact it's going to be four a's so uh eat your heart out rachel um and the first one that i see in the text here, is the anger of the nations. And we see that in verses 1 through 3. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us basically the psalm opens with this <clears throat> statement about all the nations and all the kings and all the peoples and essentially what they're doing is they are angered and raging against god <clears throat> and um they're rebelling against god they have a problem with god and um and it, it of course in my mind i'm thinking well how do they actually anger and rage against god and and i think that some kings and peoples deliberately do this they they literally come together and plot against god they they're familiar with god they they know who he is to a degree and they 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 don't like his people and they don't like his law and they don't like him and they literally work against god and plot against god but i think that generally speaking everyone is angry with God and plots against God and they may not express it through these collaborations and um active planning against God but they express it through their ongoing rebellion and sin and rejection of Jesus Christ and these sorts of things and so right out of the gate we've got the anger of the nations they they're all stirred against God they they're they're angry with God they're rebelling against God and the rebelling against his law they hate his people and uh, it's interesting this was written so long before jesus came and and isn't it apropos i mean isn't this how the nations are today they literally are angry against god and plot against god and sin against god and rebel against god and uh, we see this uh, especially here in america with the, the the total rejection of gender and and biblical sexuality, and biblical morality, and um, it's a very fitting passage for our day, and for every past generation, and for really every future generation, until Jesus comes back. So firstly, we see the the anger of the nations. They're, They're angry against God, and they're plotting against God, and they're sinning against God, and they're rebelling against God, and they they hate God's existence. They hate His rule. They hate His reign. They hate His kingdom. They hate His people. Uh, this is a, a these first three verses are perfect for total depravity, right? The tea and tulip—that's what they represent. This is the status of really all mankind. <clears throat> and then, secondly, we see the amusement of God, uh, the fact that that the nation, the nations. Being angered and raging against God, it actually amuses God. And we see this in verses four to six. (coughs) Pardon me. Four to six. Listen to this. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So, so, what is God's response to these raging nations, these angered, rebellious nations? What is His response to that? Is He up in heaven, pacing around, trying to figure out, you know, how to deal with humanity? Uh, is He pondering, well, I, I flooded the earth once and destroyed them. Maybe that's what I need to do again. Uh, how, how do I? How does He react and respond to to all of this plotting, all of this planning, all of this? rebellion how does he deal with that i mean how do we deal with it before we talk about how god deals with it how do we deal with it it drives us crazy um it it's a, a a bee in our bonnet it 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 just the way the world is really bugs us and how does god respond to all this he sits enthroned and laughs he laughs at what men do he laughs at their anger he laughs at their plots and plans. He laughs at their rebellion. He laughs at at um their their attitude and their behavior. It it it's comical. It amuses God. And and why is that? Because God is king. God is sovereign. Uh, God is is in control. God is on his throne and and nothing is going to change that. No plot of man, no nothing is ever going to impact that. And so God kind of sit backs and goes ha 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 at the anger and plots of man when the nations rage against him it's funny to god and um that doesn't seem inappropriate to me at all because when you are the creator of all and then your creation rebels against you and plans against you and plots against you i just think as creator you can sit back and go that's pretty funny i created um all of this through a handful of words and they're going to do this against me i apparently they don't know who i am i mean that would be what would be going through my mind if i was god and so he just sits back and and it amuses him and i think one of the keys here is in verse six he says god says to the raging nations as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You get the idea there in that verse that what the people are plotting against and angered against and rebelling against is the idea of God appointing a king. And it's a king that the peoples don't want. And God is telling these raging nations, it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter that you're angry. It doesn't matter that you plot against me. I have enthroned i have I have appointed I have anointed and appointed the king of my choice. now, which king is is God referring to here? Is it King David? Uh, I don't think so. Um, we don't even know who wrote this psalm. It, it could be David. It kind of sounds like David, uh, but um there's nothing in the psalm that indicates its authorship. I, I I don't have any doubt who God is speaking about. He's speaking about King Jesus. This is, um, Psalm 2 is prophetic in a sense. It's it's foretelling what God is going to do, what, what he has done in a sense, but what he is also going to do with his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And so um, the nations, you want to be angry and rebellious against me, it, it really doesn't matter because I have placed my king my only begotten son, King Jesus, Lord of lords. I have placed him on the throne of Mount Zion. So I think this is all about Jesus here, undoubtedly. Um, It amuses God that the nations rage against him, but regardless of their rage and anger and rebellion against God, God has enthroned his chosen, anointed, and appointed king. And that king will not be disappointed, by the way. King Jesus. He he won't be disappointed by any of this, Um, but King Jesus is on his throne. He has been enthroned by the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's on the throne. Doesn't matter what the nations do or say. And I think sometimes when we think of of Jesus as King, we think of him as the King who is coming, and then he's going to be enthroned on earth and all that and and that is absolutely true, but I think that it's important that we realize that Jesus is enthroned as King now; he is ruling and reigning over the nations right now as as i as I speak to you, as you tune in and listen and and study this devotional with me. He is king right now. He's not gonna be king in the future. He is king right now, and he will establish a throne on earth. And uh, the debate is over how long that will be. Will it be for a thousand years as uh, the premillennial people think, or will it be um, forever and ever and ever like the amillennial people think? Um, I'll take either one. Uh, His rule and reign on earth will be better than Biden or Trump or anybody else. Uh, but in any case, he's on his throne, and to God, all of the raging and usurpation and and rebellion is, is laughable because I have anointed and appointed my king. He's enthroned. There's nothing you people can do about it. It's laughable to God. And then number three, there's another A here. Um, the announcement of God. We see this in verses 7 to 9. 7 to 9, it says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Yeah. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Where have we heard that before? Surely that statement right there is repeated regarding Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, it is. It's in uh, Hebrews. It's in the book of Acts. and We see it in two places where um, this is declared over Jesus. He is my you know, today you are my son, I have begotten you. So obviously, the psalmist here is is prophesying about the future king, Jesus. And let me get back to it. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's in reference to Jesus, because that's exactly what was said to Jesus. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a Rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. What an amazing text. We know from Hebrews in the book of Acts that um, this idea of you are my son, I have begotten you, today I've begotten you. That this, is, this is all about Jesus. We we see the fulfillment of what is prophesied here in Psalm 2. We see it in Acts, we see it in Hebrews, we see it in the New Testament. So this is King Jesus that we're talking about here. He is the one, he is God's son. He is the uh, anointed and appointed king. He is the begotten one, if you want to say that. Undoubtedly, this is referencing to Jesus. And then in verse eight, I love this. Um, It's it's like the father is asking King Jesus, the one who's been anointed and appointed, he's asking him, um, or he's telling him this if you ask of me, Jesus, if you ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage. This is an amazing text because this is actually a, a tradition here. It's a, a it's a kingly tradition. Uh, when a king had a a favored and approved person before him, he would ask that person, if, if you ask of me anything, I will give it to you. This is how it was in the ancient days, back in antiquity. And and here's the Father saying to the Son, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage. I'll make them your possession. I will give them to you. And uh, this squares perfectly with what the New Testament says about Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords, um, all authority in heaven being uh, transferred to him by the Father. Everything is given to him. Um, you know, it, it, it is all Jesus's. King Jesus is over all... These things, the nations are his heritage; the people are his heritage, in particular his people. Um, but I, I love the the play between father and son here. If you ask of me, son, I'll make, uh, I will make the nations your heritage, and and that's precisely what has happened. Um, when Jesus ascended and went into heaven after his after his you know life, death, burial, and resurrection, and after he revealed himself to over five hundred people and all that, when he ascended in in Acts one, when he ascended. He 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 is received into heaven as a as a conquering king as a um, <clears throat> as the savior, and and he is he is uh, really in a sense appointed as king of kings, lord of lords. He's granted these titles. The authority of all things are handed to him. It's like he he was king before he came, but when he came and did his job and 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 returned to heaven and ascended back into heaven, he it's almost like um god uh, the father expanded his 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 um his duties and 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 granted to him all of these things and all of this favor and he becomes like king of kings and, and lord of lords and and um, the nations are given to him as a heritage and you know he 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 owns the church and and uh he's he's just he's just worshiped and congratulated on his finished work and and he's enthroned in glory, just as the Father is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And um, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that that's actually what we're... This is a forecast to that. This is a prophecy about the ascension and, and um, the glory of the King. Uh, I even like uh, the second half of verse 8 where it says, In the ends of the earth, your possession. I, basically, everything was made for through to Jesus, right? It talks about this in in John 1, uh, it talks about this in Colossians. Um it's all his. The ends of the earth are his possession. Everything is his. Everything belongs to him. So, um the nations are raging and they're upset with God, but God laughs at them because he has anointed and appointed his king. And here here are the details of it. the nations. I, you guys are laugh, you guys are upset and scoffing at me and angry at me, but I've appointed my king, and he's actually over all the nations. The entire earth is his possession. This is what God is saying to these infantile, foolish nations. I love it. Don't forget verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Uh, This is, this is like, um, this is, serious here i mean this is the father telling king jesus what he's going to end up doing to the nations and i think this refers to a second coming where he does dash all his adversaries every adversary will be subdued and dashed to pieces by a rod of iron and so even that is being prophesied here it's going to be so bad that um it's it the the um image that that the psalmist paints here is that it'd be like taking a rod of iron and taking a clay pot, and taking the rod of iron, and smashing the clay pot, which is going to explode into hundreds and hundreds of pieces, and in some parts even into dust. And and that's what this king that God is talking about here in Psalm 2, that's what he's going to do to his adversaries. He's going to crush them, and smash them, and dash them to pieces, as a clay pot would be smashed to pieces by a rod of iron. That's um, actually pretty terrifying, if you think about it. Uh, and then we've got number four, the fourth A, the admonition of God. We see this in verses 10 through 12. And admonition is a warning, basically. Um, 10 through 12, it says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Wow, what an amazing final A! It's just a, an admonition. It's a clear warning. Look, you you anger and rage against me, but it's amusing to me because I have anointed and appointed my King. Here's what here's what I'm announcing to you. Here's what my anointed and appointed king is going to do, right? He's taking possession of all the nations. He's taking possession of all the earth. Um, He is going to dash to pieces his enemies. And then you have this awesome admonition, which is just a a straight warning to all the nations. Um, God is is warning all the nations here, those who rage and rebel against him. Um, In a sense, he's saying the king is coming for you. He will come for you. And um, let's just unfold this little text real quick. He tells them to be wise, to be warned. He commands that instead of being angry and rebelling against King Jesus, um, instead of doing that, they ought to serve him with fear. They ought to rejoice with trembling, right? This is the warning to all the nations. This is the warning to all unbelievers, he he exhorts them or admonishes them here to kiss the Son. What does it mean to kiss the Son? We're not talking about sun. We're talking about S capital S O N. We're talking about King Jesus, the begotten Son of God. He is telling the nations to kiss the Son. What's he talking about here? Uh, does he want the nations to kiss him on the cheek? To, to kiss his feet? What does he want? He wants the nations to kiss the ring of the sun as respect, right? When you see a king do this in the movies and then some humble servant takes the hand and kisses the ring, that's the idea here. He he is exhorting and admonishing the nations to kiss the signet ring of his son out of humility and respect. Because if they fail to serve, if they fail to submit, fail to serve, if they fail to rejoice in trembling if they fail to kiss the ring of this anointed and appointed king what can happen what is the warning here really in the, it's the second half of verse 12 he he can become angry and because of his anger you can and will perish in the way this this is this is like gospel invitation Look, if you don't submit to King Jesus by, in a sense, kissing his ring, humbling yourself and submitting to him, submitting to his kingship, submitting to his lordship, he will one day become angry with you, or he is angry with you, but one day you will perish in the way. And he says, adding to this, for his wrath is quickly kindled. The wrath of King Jesus is quickly kindled. Um, he he is not a fan of those who refuse to subjugate themselves to him, for those who refuse to submit uh, to his lordship and kingship. And we need to understand that someone's refusal to submit to his lordship and kingship doesn't make him not lord and king. The refusal of his lordship and kingship does not reduce his kingship and lordship jesus is lord and king whether people submit to him or not Uh, the difference is those who do submit to him through faith they are as it says at the very end of the text they are blessed because they have taken refuge in him but those who who continue in their anger and continue to rage against him and continue to rebel against his kingship his lordship against god and his king those who do that the wrath of the King of King Jesus, the Anointed and appointed, is set against them. It is kindled and set against them, and they will perish in the way. That's a scary thought. And this King that we're referring to, King Jesus, is is God and possesses omnipotence, all power, the the power to uh, to raise to life, and the power to absolutely destroy in the fires of hell. Um, that's a sobering thought Uh, just by way of application i'm sure that you've found ways to connect to the text and to apply it Uh, but maybe what i would say is that you know we may not be earthly kings and rulers uh, but we should no less um, heed the admonition in verses 10 through 12. Uh, the father has according to this text and we know it as a reality Uh, thank you to the New Testament, but the Father has anointed and appointed his Son, Jesus Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, If we refuse to pay homage to the Son, refuse to kiss his ring, refuse to submit to his lordship and serve him with fear, rejoicing, trembling, what does it say? His anger and wrath shall be kindled against us and we shall perish in the way. But if we turn from our raging and rebellion, turn from our anger against God and take refuge in the sovereign lordship of Jesus by and through faith in him and his person, all the blessings of his everlasting kingdom shall be ours. That's truth. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We can tease out some of the broader implications of uh of jesus's kingship you know he is he is the anointed and appointed king he is the father's king the one whom the father appointed and um, he he is um, not only over the nations and um, the whole earth is his possession and and these things but um, as sovereign king he's over all of our suffering and our sicknesses and and um, our problems our difficulties our tribulations um, our persecutions he um, rules and reigns over all of those things as well they're all part of his providence and more importantly they're they're part of our sanctification and so um, as R.C. Sproul said uh, at one time there are no maverick molecules so there's just nothing outside of the ruleship of of King Jesus and um, that brings me great comfort uh, to know that he's over my COVID and over um, Rachel's sickness and over my home and over our church and over all of our our people. And uh, it's a great thing to know that we're in in the hands of this sovereign King. So uh, take comfort in knowing that as well. Um, our nation is is just. That stuff crazy right now i mean with the gender stuff and everything else it's just crazy in fact um, uh, on the 8th uh, yesterday uh, canada just passed uh, an ordinance making it illegal to to preach about transsexuality or homosexuality or anything you can get two to five years now um, if you're a minister in canada and you you speak uh negatively about those things and that just goes to show um, how far down the Romans one wormhole the Canadian government has gone, and America is following uh, at breakneck speed. So at some point it's going to be illegal for guys like me to preach those things, or for congregates like you to share those things with others. And um, it's just a, a, a crazy world, a crazy continent, a crazy nation that we live in. And yet, King. Jesus rules and reigns over America, and it may not seem like he's ruling and reigning over it because of the chaos, but he is, and um, I think I said it in my sermon last week uh, that in heaven there is perfect peace. We learned that from Job chapter 25. There's perfect perfect peace there. God has established perfect peace in in heaven, and um, one day when King Jesus returns, he will establish it here as well. As he breaks all of his adversaries with a rod of iron, he will establish his rule and reign here on earth, his throne here on earth. He is ruling and reigning now, but he will establish his throne here on earth and he will establish or make peace here as he has subdued all his adversaries and subjected all things to himself. So the rebellion will be over and uh, it'll be a, a glorious time. But remember who Jesus is and how he's on his throne right now. Um, He is ruling and reigning over all things, uh, good, bad, and ugly. And he will um, redeem all things for his glory. All things will redound for the glory of Christ, it says in uh, in, uh, Corinthians. So take joy in knowing that.